Okay, me Falcha. Welcome to the Village Oak Tree for August 2nd, 2023. Now, if that strikes you as a little strange, I'll get to that here in a couple of minutes. So, hello again. My name is Terrence O'Donnell, and I'm returning to your digital village with news from around the world and an op-ed about something specific, since uh, something I found since we were last together. So, this once-a-week podcast, and once again, is hosted on RSS.com. And also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. A little about me. I'm a senior citizen activist of Irish descent and a self-professed Shanghai, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we're sitting under the village oak tree, where I'll read you the headline from news feeds and relevant blog articles. These stories are about climate change, racism, politics, social injustice pieces. Each article I give you will be will have a link to read um, in, in its entirety in the follow-up newsletters that I post in medium.com and substack.com and my website at Ankrambiha. There is more about my website in my little advert during the break. This podcast is still free to subscribe to for all who care to listen. The purpose of the show is to push people to get up and make a difference in our world before it gets too late to do anything about it. I do offer the option of donations on the RSS.com webpage where this show is hosted to support my activism, much like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your digital village. This week I've got an announcement, as I kind of alluded to earlier. This show and another one I'm starting out. So what's going on with this is I, I wanted to make this a little more relevant to my English-speaking listeners, and instead of having a Gaelic name for the show, I decided to translate it into English for you, hence the name The Village Oak Tree. And uh, at the same point, though, I was given some advice by somebody who knows these things that I should separate and make an entirely new show with the Gaelic name on Crombieha and make it just for stories. So that's what I've done. I've created two podcasts, this one here, like regular every Wednesday. But on Fridays, I'm going to give you a storytelling podcast where I pick out notable writers. I showcase their stories. I read them to you over the podcast here um, and going to give you a little bit about things. So, you know, not nearly as long as this podcast, but even so, it should be good and entertaining for you. So as usual, when I get done with my news stories, um, I'm going to take a break. You'll get the ad advertisement, and then we'll go into the second half. So without any further ado, let me give you the news stories I picked out for this week. My first story came from CBC News. Now granted, you know my stories start almost immediately after each show I give you. So this story is a few days old. I hope the Canadians are watching. U.S. Senator tees off on Canada's military spending. Exchange came up during confirmation hearing for the next leader of North America's Defense Command. It's by Alexander Panetta in CBC News. So here's another exa good example of a paranoid U.S. trying to bully Canada into doing something they had no business meddling in. Why can't the United States mind its own business and stay out of a country's affairs? Well, again, it comes down to paranoia. They're getting ready to promote and set up a new Air Force general to take over NORAD. Well, NORAD includes Canada. So now these senators are saying to this general, 
you need to go to Canada and you need to get in these people's faces and get them to spend more money on their on their military. Well, my thinking is that's Canada's business. As not United States business, we should not be telling Canada what to do. My next story, Prime Minister marches in, this is another Canadian story, sorry, uh, by Shane Ross and CVC. Prime Minister marches in PEI, Prince Edward Island Pride Parade, as provincial politicians told to keep it nonpartisan. Parade organizers have said provincial politicians welcome in nonpartisan fashion. Well, it's good on the Canadians. They're saying basically, you can march in our parade, we don't care who you are. Just don't do any kind of political stuff. I mean, Americans are famous for it. But the Canadians are saying, no politics. You want to march in a parade? Get some notoriety? No problem. No politics. Now, if only the Americans would learn this. So it shows in this particular parade, Prime Minister Trudeau and the provincial politicians marched in this pride parade and didn't discuss politics or anything. And everybody had a great time. Now, why can't other countries do this, especially the United States? I mean, if we did this, maybe we'd get along a little bit better. Here's another political party. This one here is from the United States. I got this out of theguardian.com. Project 2025, plan to dismantle U.S. climate policy for next Republican president. Right-wing groups penned a conservative wish list of proposals for the next conservative president to gut environmental protections. So there's a small list of things that the extreme right-wing think tank, who's in the back pocket of the fossil fuel industry, uh, and the GOP reps, and what they want, what the GO, what they want the GOP reps and the GOP president to do for them in 2025. If the world thinks it has a pollution and heating problem now, it's going to be a whole lot worse if these extremists take over. And here's another. I got a lot of political articles for you this week. I'm sorry. In Tuberville Senate, is is Tuberville Senate hold on military promotions so Trump can fill them in 2025? This one from Tom Hartman's Hartman Report. It looks like the billionaires who control the MAGA movement have learned from January 6th and won't make the mistake of having an independent military, FBI, press, or Department of Justice again. So my question is, is this what we're staring at? Is this what's staring us in the face? A GOP takeover like the Nazis did in the 1930s. As a career soldier, this scares me. And I didn't, I didn't know that our military has been so radicalized in the last 20 years. I say that only because I retired from active duty 20 years ago. And apparently a lot of things have changed since I left. That's not, and I'm not saying that in a good way. And this one I got from www.daysdigital.com. How the prophecy of Armageddon became a political force in the U.S. So article talks about a new documentary about how the evangelicals are trying to take over the U.S., by infiltrating their military and political arenas. It's getting worse. What if they convince the American military members to stage a coup and institute an evangelical theocracy? Well, it goes back to that article I was just reading you from Tom Hartman. So is this what we're looking at? It has the American military been radicalized uh, by these ev evangelicals? That's a very scary thought because the American military is huge. And this one from overseas, and this is, again, military. China may be planning overseas naval bases in Asia and Africa, say analysts. 
Beijing believed to be aiming to rival U.S. global maritime power and defeat Western sanctions, report concludes. This is from TheGuardian.com by Amy Hawkins and Helen Davidson. While the U.S. is embroiled in its own internal affairs, China is quietly stepping up its global ambitions. If these eight naval bases become a reality, the maritime and global dynamics will definitely reshape global politics, and it won't be in the U.S.'s favor. Will the once mighty United States fall away to China within the next few years? Well, that's what China is hoping. If the GOP takes over in 2025, this is likely, and the Republicans will be doing a lot of chest beating with no teeth. Well, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of chest beating, but I heard another story here today how the Republicans might just, if they take over our government, might just sit back and let everybody do whatever they want to. There won't be any chest beating at all. They'll just sit back and let it happen. Either way, it's pretty scary. Next one I got out from another one of Tom Hartman's Hartman reports. The biggest issue for 2024, can humanity survive Trump and the GOP? So yeah, let's take seriously the existential, existential threat a GOP president represents to our nation, the nations of the world, and all life on earth. The stakes have literally never been higher. So I got this from his Hartman report today. This is basically a call to arms by Tom Hartman. I agree. We need to take this threat seriously. If we don't, the world will take a hit as bad or worse than what happened in the mid-20th century. As he puts it, the MAGA people will start World War III and the U.S. will sit it out as much as possible. Something like they tried to do in 1940. See how that worked worked out for them when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Can you imagine the American homeland being targeted much worse than 9-11? That's a real possibility. When the missiles start raining down on the west or east or west coast someday, are you going to be ready? That's, the real, that's kind of a real-life scenario if the MAGA people take over and snub their noses at the rest of the world. It's time to wake up and smell the coffee, America. The MAGA people do not have anyone's best interests at heart, only their own selfish ones. It's time to take back the country and fix this now before it's too late. And then we got another one. Now I got this one from NBC NBC News by Bram Bramjad Kar. I probably butchered his name and I apologize. Supporters rally around a Vietnamese American city council member who was called un-American. A fellow city council member in Morrow, Georgia, said Van Tran, quote, dishonored those oaths you took as an American citizen, unquote, by advocating for multilingual voting ballots. So a white city council member from a small Georgia Georgia community outside of Atlanta accuses a Vietnamese council member of being un-American because she advocated for bilingual ballots rather than on-site translators, which is what they were using in the past. The good news is that Mrs. Montana has had a lot of support. This Karen is one of those who thinks Everyone should only have civil rights if they're native-born American speakers. Um, how many times have we heard this story, uh, this similar stories here in the last couple of years? This one I got from India, and this came out of BBC.com. India LGBT couples. My parents were ready to kill me for their honor. Americans think they have a bet. In Southwest Asia, families will kill their LGBT plus family members, much like honor killings with infidelity. Americans do have a bad, but it could be so much worse. 
If the current GOP takes power, it may just get like that. Here's another LGBTQ article. Queer middle school to open using taxpayer-funded vouchers. I got this from www.allsides.com. Some good news from Arizona for a change. A school for LGBTQ plus kids paid for with state school vouchers. This was originally published in the Arizona Republic newspaper. Now, if only other states would do this. I mean, all these states are going to public vouchers here. So why can't these private schools, in this case, one for LGBTQ kids, why can't more states do this? So this one, I, another article I got out of NBC News here this last week. Texas church firebombed weeks after a visit from an anti-LGBTQ YouTuber. A Christian content creator called the Plano Church Pagan and Satanic. In the video he filmed, he filmed a month before the fire. This is by Carolyn Rednovsky and Colin Sheely. More sad news from Texas. A welcoming Unitarian Universalist church had their front door firebombed by another nut job. A local group of Texas evangelicals called the church pagan and satanic for welcoming the LGBTQ plus community. The police are still working on it to determine whether it will be classified as a hate crime, but the fact that they're still thinking about it means that in Texas, it's probably going to get swept under the carpet in Plano. And I got an article from Medium.com for you. This is by Allison Wiltz. And... This one here came from writers and editors of color.com. Why the fire why the far right is doubling down on defense of slavery and what the public should know about these harmful narratives. Another good article rebutting the new narrative that from DeSantis land is trying to sell a white trail, try, that they're trying to sell something to white America. Starting to sound like they would like to bring back the institutional shadow slavery touting it as beneficial for all the darker-skinned peoples. So if anybody doesn't know anything about this, they have restructured their school curriculums in Florida to promote the fact that slavery of the black people back in the day was beneficial to them. It wasn't harmful at all. Well, I mean, anybody who you know knows that these people got whipped and burned and boiled and you name it, punished in every which way imaginable. I don't see how any of that's beneficial. And this is what she talks about in her article. Next one, another racism article here from Cheyenne M. Daniels in thehill.com. Black Americans are under attack, say members of CBC. CBC is, stands for the Congressional Black Caucus. They're telling, the, these members are telling everyone that these new laws in Florida and other states are a direct attack on black Americans and Congress needs to step up and stop it. Given the current makeup of the GOP-controlled House, that's just more noise in the wind. Black folk just need to get out and vote like their lives dependent on it, because it actually does now. They need to fight against voter de discrimination. They need to fight against discrimination, period. And the only way they're going to do it is at the ballot box. It doesn't really matter how hard the white people make it for you. Make a way to get out there and vote because your lives do depend on it. This one, I got another Canadian article for you. Alberta is calling and is calling and professional racialized women are answering some to a rude awakening. Another racism article I got out of this one from CBC News. I 
Than Thandiwe Kaguye. I think I said that pretty close. Isolations, dismissals, unfair pay among black women's experiences in Edmonton workplaces. Racial prejudice is not just an American thing. Alberta seems to have a real problem with racial inequality. It's causing a lot of pain and anguish, especially since the province is trying very hard to recruit professionals. Maybe skin color is also a prerequisite to work in Alberta. Yeah, you should read this because it's beginning to look like it. And this is the same Canadian province that's uh, thumbing her nose at Ontario um, and saying, we want to do what we want to do. So here's an article. It kind of in line with some of this. I got this this morning from my friend Sam W., who's a Canadian writer, from her worldweary.com website. Police warrior training is a common cause of death. Now, she talks about the United States for the most part. Actually, this happens around the world, but it's a lot of it. All, most of what she talks about here is in the U.S. Here she talks about how the bad warrior training program in the U.S. has taken so many innocent lives, and she's right. The American policing system has gone on a war footing in the last few years, more so than the past. Although it's, been, it's always been bad, now it's even worse. If the MAGA crowds take over the country, all hell will break loose, and humans labeled as others will become even more targets, more in a lot of ways. I mean, right now, police do racial profiling. We all know that there's nut jobs running around that do their own profiling. But the worst part is, if the MAGA groups take, take over the government in 2025, the body count's going to get a whole lot higher. This is another racist article here, but it's not about black people this time. It's about Chinese. Quote, can we move? Unquote. Chinese residents are fearful over U.S. laws banning property ownership. And this came from TheGuardian.com by Frank Wu. Chinese immigrants are being singled out by fear once again. The GOP is spreading a fear-mongering campaign against Chinese immigrants across the country. Are we going to go back to the days of the Chinese exclusionary laws from the 19th and early 20th centuries because D.C. and Beijing aren't getting along? Or is this just another way to generate more votes from the fear, fearful GOP base? I'm thinking the latter myself, truthfully. Anytime that the GOP could scare, scare people into voting for them, they're all about that. So this one is more of an environmental issue here. I got this from www.pbs.org, and it's by Miles O'Brien, Dorothy Hastings, and Will Tubman. Lobster Industries industry says regulations to save right whales will push them out of business. Lobster fishermen have been complaining are complaining again about losing their livelihoods, something they've been doing ever since I can remember. They have been complaining for years, and now it's about the right whales. I think these guys should find a new line of work rather than decimate the lobster populations and endanger other marine life. Lobsters are a luxury food for the rich and famous anyway. The average household can't afford them unless you catch your own. But again, you're going to pay a lot of money for equipment and, and stuff like that because the industry is regulated. As I said, I'm, I used to live in Maine. I grew up there. And lobster fishermen have been complaining about the government getting in their business ever since I can remember probably before I was born. And now they've got another complaint. They're saying that, oh, we're protecting the right whales. is ruining their livelihoods. Well, 
you know what? You guys have been complaining about losing your livelihoods for so long. You might want to start thinking about another line of work. I really think you ought to seriously consider that. There's other things you guys can use your boats for. Um, leave the poor lobsters alone. You know, maybe they should do like they do, do the moose. Maybe they should set up a, a lobster lottery. And, you know, maybe every, every third application for a lobster fishing license gets approved and everybody else gets to wait till next year. Maybe that would, uh, you know, give the lobsters a chance to grow and not have quite so many issues with, um, you know, ruined livelihoods. Something to think about. Here I got an article from another medium writer. And he writes, his name is Mitch, and he writes in the sacred carelymedium.com. What to expect as countries around the world de-dollarize. I'm going to emphasize that, de-dollarize. It's not going to happen overnight, but you may not have to work, but you may have to work until you're 70. So it's a very good breakdown on the financial state of the United States. The United States is in big trouble and can't pay all our bills anymore. Other countries can smell the blood in the water and either moving away or circling for the kill. Using U.S. dollars as the leverage against them, America is overextended and it's, it's too busy with its internal fighting that they don't see the crash coming. Between climate change, political fighting, and extreme financial stress, the end is nigh. And that's, that's, that's my comment on this article. He's got a lot of good points in this article that I strongly recommended everybody read. Talking about how other countries right now are moving away from using the dollar as their coin base, if you will, um, to to run their countries. Some of them are, you know, like going back to gold. Other countries are starting to use their own, like the Chinese are trying to use the, the yuan, uh, trying to convince the world to use their currency and all this kind of stuff. Middle East is moving away from using dollars, so on and so forth. The United States is in trouble. Like I said, he's got a lot of good points in here. You should read it. Next one, come out of another Canadian article out of cbc.ca. Here's the, here's the story not told in Nolan's Oppenheimer about those forced off their land in New Mexico. 32 Hispano families given just 48 hours to vacate relatives and ex relatives and ex-lab employees. Thompson is come out of Thompson Reuters. So this is a story that you're not going to find in the United States, probably. If any of the, you know, it's in a really obscure U.S. news feed, if you can find it at all. Simply because this movie is very popular and they don't want to take the gloss off of it. Likely because it's a minor embarrassment for the U.S. government as well. It, de it, de it degenerates one of their heroes from World War II and, of course, the Americans don't want to have any of that. The story ranks right up there with why they felt the need to put Japanese-American citizens in internment camps. Just another example of the Americans thinking they can do whatever they want to whomever they want, anytime they want. Not much has changed in nearly 80 years, except now some people are pushing back more against American imperialism. So what this story is about, basically, is when the government decided that they wanted to set up this atomic bomb factory out there in Los Alamos, they basically, well, they didn't even say them in a domain. They just came in there with the army and told everybody that was living there, you got to go. You get nothing. We're not going to give you hardly any money, all that kind of stuff. You're done. Move. And a lot of these people were 
financially devastated. So they're asking for compensation now. Here's an article about the environment. And this talks about, you know, all the issues with the heat waves and stuff. I got this from Umar Haik in medium.com. Are we beginning to hit the limits of human survivability? We need to talk about wet bulb temperature and what the latest research about it reveals. So it's a very important read. There's a lot of technical data in here, but it's not that bad. Umar Haik leads it all out here, although with a few, tech, as I mentioned, technical stuff, all of which we will need to learn going forward into this new epoch. I'm familiar with it from my military days, but the average citizen, yeah, not so much. If you thought it was hot this summer, just wait. Summers will become lockdowns in certain places, and the climate migrations will triple, if not more, as they try to escape the heat. So what, they, what he's talking about is the difference between actual thermometer temperatures and a wet bulb temperature, humidity-wise, and how the two have to be compatible and how it sets the threshold for what humans can survive temperature-wise. It's, uh, it's interesting information. And beyond, as I mentioned, it's something that we're all going to have to learn to understand here probably in the next couple of years. My next article I got from Ireland, and I got it from The Guardian, and it's, it's a good article. It's one of those feel-good articles. You wouldn't ask if they're Catholic or Protestant. The music festival bringing Belfast together. Belf, Belfast Tradfest unites young people who are often segregated. Its founders explain why traditional music belongs to all. This is by David McNally. And Belfast, a resurgence of traditional music, transcends the orange and the green in the younger generations born after the Good Friday Agreement. With the help of some older adults, music summer camps and concerts are bringing together younger players who don't ask the question anymore. Are you orange and green? I grew up with that. Are you orange or green? That's not a good question to be asked. Former, this is my other, my last article, another really feel good. And there's been several news feeds that have picked this up since I, since I picked it up. I got it out of BBC. Um, CBC picked it up. I think America, some Americans picked it up. Farmer plants massive sunflower field and surprise gift for his wife. It's my last story of the week, as I mentioned. It's a feel good from, from Kansas. A U.S. farmer planted 80 acres of sunflowers to honor his their 50th wedding anniversary. This particular flower happens to be the state flower, and his farm is now a huge tourist attraction with over 1.2 million sunflowers growing in this man's fields. This has to be the largest bouquet of flowers I have ever heard of. Good on him. That's a, probably the biggest gesture anybody's heard of in a very long time. So that's all the stories I have for you this week, and it's time to go on break. So let me uh, give you my advert here about my website and a couple other things. And I'll be back in about two or three, four minutes here. I want to take this time to bring attention to my website called On Crombiehaw at URL HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash 527.websitex5.me. I have the RSS feeder enabled so interested folks can get a notice whenever I post something new. Within the website, I have a blog page where I post copies of my online blog articles and stories and a copy of the weekly podcast. There is a home page where you can learn a little more about what Ankara Beha means 
for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. I also have a page with links to this podcast, another with links to my Medium and Substack pages, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. If you like my articles and stories in Medium.com and Substack.com, I have an option at the end of the blog articles to sign up for a subscription. No obligation. I also post weekly newsletters in each of as a follow-up to the podcast every week with links to all the news articles and stories that I brought up during the shows. I don't want anyone to feel obligated to financially support my work, which is why I bring you the podcast for free. Medium does ask you to subscribe to read most of everything you see, though. You have the alternative to read the newsletters for free on Substack.com or on the blog on my website. Everything I write about will be available in a blog section of my website if you don't want to sign up for anything. You just won't have access to any other great writers there, but at least I give you a choice. If you enjoy reading, these are some great choices you'll find where you like to read what you like most and dive in as much as you want. If you like what you read, feel free to comment on my website anytime. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. I've got a very good article for you on the truth of slavery. I also wrote three articles about humanity and evolution of slavery since the dawn of mankind, and I'll link them in the newsletter for you. As this writer stipulates, enslavement of humans goes so far back in time it's lost to when it started. Most likely it started when the first collective villages decided to raid their neighbors for whatever they wanted. Humans have always been a commodity, openly traded like any other set of goods, worth a cart full of grain or some other tangible goods. As this writer states, and as I did in my series, slavery is still a large trade commodity even now in this 21st century, right under everyone's noses. China is rampant with about millions of peoples. Think of the Uyghurs who have been in the news the last few years. This doesn't include serfdom or an it doesn't include serfdom or indentured servitude in places all around the world where people are abused every day. Indentured servitude is just a fancy name for modern-day slavery. The largest demographic in the slave trade are those who are lured and kidnapped. The smallest demographic in the slave trade are those who are lured or kidnapped and forced into self-trafficking slavery, which makes the news on occasion when the police bust someone, which is kind of rare. Most Westerners wouldn't recognize an enslaved person if they walked by them going about their daily business. They're in plain sight, especially in places like the Middle East. I saw this myself back in 1992 when I was traveling in and out of Dubai for work once a month. If you went anywhere beyond the five-star hotels and the wealthy areas where Westerners were encouraged to not stray beyond, you would see hundreds of Filipinas and Malaysians toiling away and living in abject poverty. Then there are the stories of housekeepers who have been murdered or enslaved by their Arab masters. This is today's world. Slavery is still everywhere, despite laws against it. Why? Because slaves are a commodity. Humans can be bought and sold just like anything else in this world. People aren't considered humans when they're on the auction block. They're just dollar signs or whatever other currency is being used. Dinars, yuan, British pound sterling, or whatever. The sex slave trade is a big part of any criminal organization's portfolio everywhere in the world. This trade in humans will never stop. It's just part of the human condition. It runs under the wire now as Westerners think this is a bad thing, and rightly so. 
but nothing will ever stop the slave trade as long as somebody is willing to buy them. And that's the part that needs to stop. Cut off the demand and the supply will dry up. The sellers don't care what they sell as long as there's demand for a commodity. Someone will always find something to sell for profit, including humans. Such is the capitalist world going back to the most ancient of times of inter-village trading. So now I've got a story for you that I got from somebody in medium.com. And it's entitled, White People and Slavery. You have been misled. Slavery was done mostly by white people. False. And this is from Media versus Reality. That's what he writes under. When I first started my project, Media versus Reality, the original goal was to help people achieve an understanding of the world as close to reality as possible. The more I observed and the more I studied, the more I realized that a lot of people have an incredibly skewed understanding of history. When people carry them a carry with them a misunderstanding of history, this sows the needs seeds for bad ideas and a massively misguided and incorrect view of the world. One such to, one such topic that a huge number of people carry misconceptions about is the topic of slavery and white people. I will now attempt to bring your views about this topic more in line with the reality. In parentheses, I'm aware that this is an incredibly sensitive subject. As such, I have written some disclaimers at the bottom of this article to clear up any misunderstandings of what I'm trying to say here. End of parentheses. There are two common beliefs that people carry with them about slavery and white people. One, slavery was done mostly by white people. False. Millions of people, particularly in the U.S., genuinely believe that no slavery existed before white people turned up on the west coast of Africa in 1652 and started kidnapping the nice, peaceful African people. Others carry a vague idea in their mind that, yes, there may have been some slavery around the world here and there, but on the whole, white people were the evil slave masters, while every other race was only a, a victim of slavery. This couldn't be more wrong. It's astronomically wrong. Catastrophically wrong. I couldn't begin to express just how incorrect this impression of slavery is. No, slavery was not invented by white people. The reality is far worse than that. Instead, slavery was the overwhelming norm for humanity across all races. 2,200 years ago, Greek philosopher Aristotle looked around his world in his time and concluded that slavery was simply the natural state of humanity. That's how common it was. Slavery was commonplace in ancient Egypt more than 4,000 years ago. The Bible itself has plenty of references to the slavery of its time in the Middle East. The brutal Arab slave trade was responsible for the enslavement of roughly 17 million Africans and lasted for far longer than the transatlantic slave trade. What does this mean? It means that throughout history, Arabs may have had more slaves than white people. Now, this is a debatable statement, as historians still argue, argue about the exact number of slaves taken in both the transatlantic slave trade and the Arab slave trade. Nevertheless, it's a fact that the Arab slave trade was responsible for the enslavement of millions of black Africans. Yet, strangely, nobody ever talks about this. In your mind, you probably don't associate people from Iraq, Syria, Jordan, Qatar, some of the other countries where Arab people originated from, with slavery. Why not? The Barbary slave trade involved the enslavement of around 1.25 million white Europeans by North African countries such as Algeria, Tunisia, and Morocco. Yet you probably don't associate these countries with slavery. Why not? Slavery was also present throughout China, throughout most of Chinese history. In fact, 
it's estimated that there are roughly 5.8 million slaves living in China today, right now. You, yet you probably don't associate China with slavery. Why not? If you hear the word slavery and you immediately think of white people enslaving black Africans, then you've been misled. You've seen movies about white people enslaving blacks. Your school curriculum probably focused on white on black slavery, especially if you're from the USA. You've read articles about white on black slavery online. And you've seen more debate and discussion of white on black slavery in the media. All this has left you with the false impression that slavery was mostly a white phenomenon. It wasn't. Number two, white people are the descendants of slave owners. False. You might look at the white milk-colored people of the United Kingdom and believe that on the whole, they came from they came come from an evil history of slave owners. Yet only approximately three thousand to forty-four thousand Brits were actually slave owners. Throughout history, the overwhelming majority of British people lived in absolute poverty, suffered through hellish working conditions, and struggled to get by from day to day. As a British man myself, I can assure you that my ancestors were not privileged upper-class slave owners. My grandparents and great-grandparents were not wealthy. In fact, they likely lived their entire lives in absolute poverty. Just take a look at these YouTube comments. Quote, I'm white, Irish, and Slavic. Every one of my ancestors were slaves themselves until the mid-1800s. After that, we were second-class citizens. But despite being treated like that, we fought to free black slaves in the U.S. Many of my family were killed for defending blacks. How do you think that makes my family feel when in 2023 we are told we have privileges and are white demons from, from free black people in my own, my own county? It feels like a slap in the face. My ancestors were persecuted just as bad as yours, but we still fought and died for black freedom, only to be hated and constantly insulted and called evil slavers by the same people we fought and died to protect. I'm Slavic, and yes, my people were slaves for years and were persecuted even though we have light skin pigment. Some of my family were even into camps in Poland during World War II. History of slavery is not that simple as history books in USA schools may make it out to be. The ancestors of most white Europeans lived in a state of serfdom, which means they were essentially slaves themselves. Even in the, even in the USA, in 1860, at the beginning of the Civil War, only 25% of white households in southern states owned slaves. As for the northerners, the number was even less. Simple fact is that most white Americans have no direct connection to slavery. And that goes even more so for white people around the world. Let me repeat that again to make it nice and clear. Most white people had no direct connection to slavery. And this is even more true for modern white people you see around you today who weren't even alive when the transatlantic slave trade existed. So what does all this mean? It means if you're black, you should not look at white people who walk past you on the street think, and think you enslaved my ancestors. This probably isn't true. If you live in the southern states of the USA, there is a higher chance of this statement being correct. And this was in parentheses. If you're white, you should not carry a sense of shame about your ancestors and your roots. Chances are your ancestors had no part in slavery whatsoever. Chances are they struggled through a hard life of poverty and may even have been slaves themselves. You need not be ashamed of being white because of slavery. And parentheses again, by the same token, there's no particular reason to be proud of being white either. In parentheses. When it comes to slavery, no race stands guiltless. 
Meet a Middle Eastern man. His ancestors, ancestors may have been slave owners. Meet a Chinese woman. Her ancestors may have been slave owners. Meet an African man. His ancestors may have been slave owners. And yes, meet a white woman. Her ancestors may have been slave owners too. It's time to change the way you think about slavery and white people to be more in line with reality. So here he's got some disclaimers. The transatlantic slave trade was a horrific, horrific episode of history in which white people treated black Africans in, brutal, in a brutal, horrible manner. This should be studied and remembered and never forgotten. Racism towards black people was rampant throughout the, rampant throughout the USA, UK, and various other predominantly white nations throughout history. Racism towards black people also still exists throughout the world today. Throughout the world. Think about that. Throughout the world, not just the U.S. This article is not supposed to downplay the horrific slavery committed by white people or downplay racism in any way. The goal, is, the goal of this article is simply to encourage you to view the historic slavery, the history of slavery, and white people in a more nuanced way. History is complicated, does not fit neatly into any particular narrative. So, and that's the end of the article, and that's what I've got for you this week. But this is meant to make you think, okay? And as he talks about in the article, slavery goes back probably to the very beginnings of civilization. The first organized villages probably went to the next village and grabbed people and made slaves out of them. And it's been going on for thousands of years and by all, all of humanity around the world. It's still going on today. I can, I can dredge up instances of modern-day slavery going on right now, today, this day, right now, August 2nd, 2023. There is rampant slavery going on in China, especially, in Malaysia, and over in Africa, in the Middle East, and so on and so forth. So, no, it's not just a white thing. So, I'm going to leave you with that, okay? My question of the week that I give everyone is examine examine your ancestry if you have a way to look it up. Find out where you came from. Who were your ancestors? Were they slaves? Were they serfs? Were they you know were they indentured serve you know servants? Um, I know mine probably were. Um, I'm sure that my ancestors ancestors in Ireland suffered brutally under British rule. And there was a lot of that going on. Uh, and as he mentions here, a lot of English people also suffered under all of that. There's a whole lot of English, English immigrants. Well, I say immigrants. They were sent to places like New South Wales, which we now call Australia, um, and sent there for his punishment. English, Irish, Scottish, and anybody else that they thought were entitled to be criminalized. And they didn't really care. But, you know, instead of hanging them outright, which they did some of that, they sent a lot of them to places like Prince Edward Island in Australia as part of their punishment. A lot of people went to Australia as indentured servants, and at the end of their seven years, they weren't allowed to go home. They were told, sorry, you want to go home, you got to pay for it. Well, you know what? As an indentured servant, you don't make any money. You're getting free room aboard, and, you know, you might get a, a tuppence or two to go buy some soap or something at the store. But basically, you're working for free for seven years. At the end of that seven years, well, you're on your own. Go find a job uh, and make enough money to go home again. You know, 
So boat transport to England back in those days was pretty expensive. So think about that. And that's what I'm going to leave you with. So I will talk to you guys next week. Hopefully I'll have some more interesting stories for you. With that, uh, I'll say goodbye. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and shall return again for another episode of the Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast episode will be free, can be found on many different platforms now, although some may have advertisements. Unfortunately, I have no control over that. Search for the Village Oak Tree or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-A-I-L-L in your favorite app. I hope I've achieved my goal and feel helping you feel like we've been sitting under the village oak tree during our time together. As a Shanghai, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your troubles be less and your blessings be more and nothing but happiness come through your door. Shlongo Foyle which means goodbye for now in Irish.